today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. If God is sovereign, if He can sovereignly open the eyes of people, then that creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Because you know that God delights to save. You know that his word is effective. You know that his spirit is going out and affecting people that are hearing. And you know that God can and does save. And so when you preach, see, you preach differently. You preach with a different attitude when you know that. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Pastor Ricky will be continuing his teaching on the sovereignty of God and man's free will. Some Christians believe that because God is the one who controls those who get saved, then there is no reason to evangelize. The Bible is clear that even though God sovereignly opens the eyes of those He chooses to save, Believers are still to preach the gospel. You can't completely understand all of God's mysteries, but God's command to preach the gospel is very straightforward. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 14, for our continuing study entitled, God-Grounded Confidence and God-Glorifying Effort. See, some kids don't understand how we live, you know, you're telling them, we live in El Paso. Okay, El Paso. And then you tell them later, we live in Texas. We love Texas. They're like, no, we live in El Paso. And later on you tell them, you know, we live in America. No, we don't. We live in Texas. You said we live in Texas. We live in Texas, in America, in El Paso. And you can see their little, like, heads going, what? And I... Every once in a while, you get a kid that gets in one of these train wrecks, and they're, sh- they're sure you're wrong. Like, no, no, Dad. We don't live in both of them. See, we, we, have, we have little mental train wrecks like this. I remember for me as a kid, it took me a while to get that, that ice and water and water vapor were like the same thing. So I'm like, no, no, no. It's either ice or it's the water. It's, it's not both water. That's crazy, Mom. And because, you know, you're, you're thinking, I, I can figure this out. I've got this. You know, as a five-year-old kid, you're like, I got this. I mean, human beings are nothing but not like, I got this people, right? So, so for us as, as adults, it can be difficult for us to say, you know what? I've got ice down. I've got the whole geography thing down. But it's hard for us to admit that there might be some things that are still out of our grasp. that We still don't understand yet. But, but this is the question. If God is infinitely wise, isn't it possible that there are some things of the Lord we just don't understand yet? And so the bottom line is that for us as Christians, we must learn to be comfortable with mystery. We will not know everything we could possibly want to know. There's some stuff about Genesis that I would love to know. But God wrote Genesis for a specific reason. And we're to use Genesis according to the specific reason God gave it to us. And God wrote this passage according to a specific reason. And we're to use this passage for the reason that God has given it to us. And it doesn't mean that we don't try to be biblical. It doesn't mean we don't try to be clear in our articulation of theology as, as clear as we can. But it means that if God has chosen to allow some level of mystery, we allow that to be there. 
And instead, we use those texts for the purpose God gave them to us. This is the important thing, is that, that God, remembering that God gave this truth, this, this little tightly packed truth in the, in the verses of Acts about God having many people in his city for a reason. And it's meant, I believe in Paul, it's meant to develop a specific attitude in Paul. And, and we have to ask the question, why did God give this vision to Paul? Remember where we are in the book of Acts. Okay, remember that a few chapters ago in Acts 16, Paul wanted to preach the gospel in one region, but God gave him a vision about a man in Macedonia. Do you remember this? Where he's saying, come over to us in Macedonia. And so Paul goes to Macedonia, and this is how it's gone so far. In Philippi, he got beaten with rods and thrown in prison. In Thessalonica, a mob formed and ran him out of town. In Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica found them in Berea and formed another mob and ran them out of town again. And then in Athens, Paul is basically dissed by the entire body of Greek philosophers. That's how it's going so far. So... God sends this vision to encourage Paul. See, if, if I were Paul, I would need some encouragement. I would be thinking back to that day when I saw the vision of the man saying Macedonia, and I'd be thinking, did he say Manchuria? Did I just, did I get it wrong? Did I, was, was there something I missed there? And so God says, no, you're in the right place. And he, he gives us to encourage Paul. He wants to reassure Paul that his ministry will not be vain. He wants Paul to have a God-grounded confidence in the work that he's doing in the city of Corinth. See, Packer, J.I. Packer, in this little book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, which is an outstanding book that's dealing directly with the topics we're talking about today, he has this quote that I love. He says, so far from making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God in grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless. For it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Apart from it, there is not even a possibility of evangelism being fruitful. Were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen. And there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, look, if, if we as human beings, if our hearts are dead, if we have chosen sin and our hearts are completely dead, there's no life in them. These are hearts of stone. Preaching the Christian gospel and saying repent and believe to people with dead hearts is not going to make any difference with them. But he's saying, look, if God is sovereign, if he can sovereignly open the eyes of people, then that creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Because you know that God delights to save. You know that his word is effective. You know that his spirit is going out and affecting people that are hearing. And you know that God can and does save. And so when you preach, see, you preach differently. You preach with a different attitude when you know that, when you're assured of that. You have a God-grounded confidence that grows out of this truth. 
Can you imagine how confidently Paul would have begun preaching? I mean, the day after this vision, can you imagine how excited Paul would have been to get back to the streets of Corinth knowing there are people in this city that are the Lord's? He's, he would have a deep, deep-seated confidence. Now, this, this week, I'm going to shift gears. Just stay with me on this one, okay, guys? He's, which I ask you guys to do a lot. You guys are very kind. So one more time. Stay with me. Last weekend, uh, my sister got married, and it was great. And as part of the wedding, Dylan asked all of his groomsmen if they would buy his favorite shoe for the wedding, which were these boat shoes. And so, so he made us buy these Sperry Topsider shoes, and, and I bought them even though they were expensive because I love Dylan, and that's what you do for weddings, you know? <laughs> when someone asks you to be in their wedding, if you're cheap like me, you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Not really, it really is a joy, but I just, the cheapskate in me is like, oh, I'm going to have to buy these shoes. Well, I, I buy these shoes for the wedding, and, and, I, I re, and this week, I, I wore them a couple times. And on Thursday, when I left for the office, I, I realized, you know what, I, there's a spring in my step. As I'm, I'm making my way to the car, and I just realized, you know what, I, I'm ready to go today. I'm ready to, I can take on anything. I mean, I'm doing message prep, doing some administration, doing some other things. I've got this. This is going to go well. There was no project that will stand up to the Sperry Top Cider. Sperry Top Cider brings class to any event. You could dress it up, you could dress it down. You look sophisticated and yet casual at the same time. I mean, that, that's the beauty of the Sperry Top Cider. Yesterday I went to uh, hit, a, hit a bucket of balls with Neil and some of the guys. It was probably the best time at the driving range I've ever had. And you, I'll, I'll let you guess which shoes I was wearing at the driving range. Now, it's funny, I'm realizing this this week, and I'm thinking, this is the stupidest thing ever. Um, I, I, have, I have an inordinate amount of confidence in these shoes. And these shoes don't actually do anything. Except for maybe if you're a sailor, they keep you from sliding around. But I'm not a sailor. There's no water. And so I have, I have this deep-seated confidence in something that is absolutely silly. And, and a lot of times we, we do this. You know, we'll have a deep-seated confidence in your, our favorite shirt or a deep-seated confidence in our, our favorite uh, folio that we're going to pr- do our presentation in. And see, for us as Christians, we don't have to make up reasons to have a deep-seated confidence. See, Scripture provides real reasons for deep-seated confidence. What, what, what better reason could there be for a deep-seated confidence than a knowledge that God is sovereign and He desires to save if you're thinking about evangelism? See, that's... You put that pair of shoes on, you put the pair of shoes on of of belief in in God's sovereignty in salvation, you're going to walk out the door to do evangelism differently. Imagine if God told you, your shoes, you wear those shoes, you go out and evangelize. I can't tell you when, I can't tell you where, but there are people in this city who are my people and they're going to be saved if you wear those shoes. I mean, you'd wear the shoes all the time. You'd never take the shoes off. God is saying, look, you can have the same kind of confidence in the fact that some will be saved, that many will be saved. And it's not in something silly. It's in something deep. 
See, our church, I think, in this passage is called to a deep-seated confidence in God's work. We need to believe this firmly if we're ever going to reach the city. If we desire to reach the city of El Paso, we must have a deep-seated confidence in this truth of the Lord. And I want to just stop and back up and think about some of the truths in Acts that give us this kind of confidence. Just as we've been going through the book of Acts, so far we've learned that Jesus is absolutely committed to the mission of the church. In other words, Jesus did not just leave. We see traces of Jesus everywhere, fingerprints of Jesus, and, and the continuance of his promise that he will be with us till the end of the age. We have that confidence. We've We have the confidence of the Holy Spirit, and we've watched the Holy Spirit turn these scared band of disciples into world changers. When they come to town, people say, these men have turned the world upside down. We've seen that the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of people absolutely hostile to the gospel, like the Philippian jailer, like person after person in city after city in the book of Acts. We've seen that the word of God and the message of the gospel pierces hearts, pierces hearts that aren't even, aren't even Jewish. This is not a Jew-Gentile thing anymore. Gentiles are being saved. People far off are being saved. People in Macedonia are being saved. We've learned in the book of Acts that God has many in each city that Paul goes to that are his people. And we've learned that God delights to save. That's his character. That's his posture. He loves to save many. So for us as a church, we must root our confidence in evangelism, not in our own abilities, not in the fact that we're going to come up with the plan, the strategy, the pamphlet, the radio spot, the billboard. None of that should be our confidence other than the word of God, his spirit and his sovereign salvation. That should be our confidence. So, so let me ask you, are you confident of these truths? Have you allowed these truths to really sink into your heart? I was talking to some of the people in the church as we've been talking a lot about evangelism, and some of them were honest that, you know what, this is hard for me. It's hard for me to think about, even think about going across the street to talk to my neighbor. It's hard for me to even think about saying more than two words to my barber. It's hard for me to just get up the courage to think about it, much less to do it. Well, brother or sister, if you're there, like I've, I've been there many days, I still am there. But our confidence together cannot be in the fact that we're going to do a good job with this. Our confidence has to be that God is sovereign and he saves. That, that, that changes the way you approach walking across the street. And let me ask, are you praying earnestly for the salvation of people you know? Are you praying earnestly? See, if you, if you have this deep-seated confidence in God, you are going to be crying out. I mean, I was convicted about this this week, that, that I don't spend enough time crying out for God to save the people that I know. And consider, is there anyone you've given up on? Is there anyone whose heart seems too hard, they seem too lost? Because this attitude will keep us from giving up. See, I... I wonder if there was a moment when Paul got to heaven and, and Paul said, you know what, Lord, I, I love being here. I just can't help but asking about that little detour through Macedonia. I mean, what was that about? I got beaten up and ran off and nobody in the Areopagus liked me. What was going on with that? I wonder if God took him back and showed him a church in Philippi that lasted for generations. 
church in Thessalonica that lasted, the church in Berea, the, the groundwork that Paul laid for the church in Athens, the groundwork that he laid for the church in Corinth. And in fact, Paul writes six books of the Bible to churches he started on this little detour through Macedonia. So look, if, if you're there and you're thinking, man, I, I don't see how this is working together. I don't understand how all this is going to come together, Lord. It just seems like things aren't working. It seems like the doors aren't opening. Keep trusting and, and let your confidence be in God and his sovereign work. Third, and briefly, let's talk about the action. So we've seen the truth that God is sovereign in salvation. We've seen the attitude that this should create in us, a deep-seated confidence in God's saving work. And third, what's the action that's called for as a result? What do we do when we walk out the doors, well, we do gospel work. See, Christians many times, and I'll say this, especially in Reformed churches, churches that, that hold up the sovereignty of God, there can be this tendency at times to think, you know what, well, if God's going to save people, then he's just going to save people. If God's going to save people, then we, we like to use language like this, like he's just going to, you know, just draw those people through the doors. Or, you know, he's going to just draw the, I mean, which is true, he could. He could like, like lift people up out of their beds on Sunday morning and they're going, where am I going, Lord? And, and bring them like through the doors and sit them down and, and have them hear the gospel that way. But he doesn't usually work that way. He usually works through us. And so a mistake we can make is, is to, to, to shy back from gospel work if we think, you know what, it's, it's all up to the Lord anyway. No, the response that this passage is calling for in its example, the response that God always calls for, is, is for us to throw ourselves into gospel work. I mean, look at verse 11, right after God's words to Paul. He gives him this amazing vision, and then Luke says this, and Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, usually Paul stays for a few months in many places. He stayed for a year and a half in, in Corinth, and he'd already been there a significant amount of time. He'd already been there working a job and preaching the gospel. And then when his, his boys, Timothy, and his other, his other uh, helpers get there and they bring a gift from Philippi, he devotes himself exclusively to teaching. And he does that for a year and a half. I mean, that's not light work. That's not some like weekend work. That's serious gospel work. And, and all over this passage, there are examples of serious gospel work that take real effort. We see that Paul is bold in proclaiming the gospel in response to God's vision. We see later on in the passage that Aquila and Priscilla are generous with their resources. And initially, when Paul gets there, he allows, they allow, it, the picture is they probably have a business and they probably allow Paul to come and work alongside them and, and extend their resources to Paul. And, and Titius is generous with his resources and lets the church meet in his house. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you're the guy the church meets in your house every week. I mean, some people, you, you, hosting a care group is tough work. But if you had the whole church over there every Sunday, that would be a lot of work. And Aquila and Priscilla, later on, we, we see in uh, verses 18 to 20, they actually go on a church plant to Ephesus. And then Aquila and Priscilla later on down, beginning in verse 24, they disciple a guy named Apollos who has some potential. And Apollos, 
allows himself to be discipled by these two mature Christians. And, and Apollos is then sent out by the church and by Priscilla and Aquila to do more gospel work. In other words, once Paul says, hey, I have many in this city who are my people, the response isn't, and everyone took a year off. The response is that everybody got to work, right? That's Paul's pattern. They took, they sacrificed their reputation and their comfort and their money and their houses for the sake of the gospel. And this is, this in many ways is so much like the Savior who, who came to earth and who knew the outcome of his work was certain, but he did not shy away from gospel work. He taught and healed and helped and suffered and died for us. See, no outcome in the history of the world was more sure than the outcome of Christ's victory over death in his salvation, and yet he spared no effort in accomplishing our salvation for us, and this should be our attitude in Christ Jesus. So go back and imagine with me what it would be like to be Van Gogh and to, in the middle of struggling financially, in the middle of seeming like your work was useless, your life was useless, it was a waste, you're depressed, to go and see the end result of your work, to walk into this amazing art museum with amazing presentation of all of your work and to think, that's the picture on the fireplace. Oh my gosh, that's the picture that's hanging from the raptors. That's the picture that I spilled coffee on. To, to know that your work was not in vain. See, for us in Christ, this isn't like a fable. We we. We don't just think, okay, I hope everything works out. I hope preaching the gospel does some good. I hope reaching the city of El Paso does something sometime, somewhere. No, we have a real and sure hope. See, we know that the cause that we give our lives to is worth it. And we have a cause so much greater than a few paintings that hang in a museum. We are part, as Christians, of the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. We are, we are, sent, we are saved and sent back into the world to save others, to pull others, to preach to others, to help and lay down our lives until we get to be home with Christ. And you know what the picture is when we get to home, be home with Christ is? It's not a question mark. The book of Revelation is not, hey, I hope things work out at the end. The book of Revelation is that Jesus wins and at the end of history, people from every tribe and tongue and nation stand there giving glory to Jesus Christ. And based on all we know about Jesus, will there not be many in El Paso that stand there on that day? Will there not be many that we, we may know them now? They may be our neighbors, our doctors, our friends, our family. And who knows when God will open their eyes and save them. But we know that he can. We know his word is effective. We know his spirit is with us. And so in light of that, let's go. I think that's the effect this passage should have on us, is that we know. We know from all that we know about Christ that there are probably many in this city that are God's. And in light of that, we devote ourselves to the work. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Missionary work is a topic that fills stadiums and excites the body of Christ. Maybe you're not sure if you're called to be a missionary. 
And while you may not be called to a distant land, God has called everyone to share Jesus with those around us. And the book of Acts details powerful examples of missionary work through the disciples in the first century church. Examples of sharing Jesus in everyday life. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it's just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website, betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.